This is the last day of this June 2020 four-day remote session, virtual session, if you will. And uh, I want to take up a koan today. This is from the Blue Cliff Record. Number 29, Daizui's It Goes Along with Everything Else. A monk asked Daizui, When the conflagration at the end of the Kalpa sweeps through and the great cosmos is destroyed, I wonder, is this one destroyed or not? Daizui said, It will be destroyed. The monk said, Will it be gone with everything else? Daizui said, It will be gone with everything else. That's uh, the end of the koan. And we'll start as usual by reading some material, the little material we have on this Zen master uh, Daizui Daizui. That's the Japanese version. I might as well use the Chinese, the original Chinese version. This is a Chinese master because it's virtually the same. <coughs> da Sui, uh, instead of Dai Zui, his real name was Da Sui. He was uh, one another great master from the Tang Dynasty, the uh, the ninth uh, and tenth centuries the end of the Tang Dynasty. I'm reading here from uh, Zen's Chinese Heritage by Andy Ferguson. (coughs) Uh, Just a couple things about his life. He's recorded to have experienced great enlightenment while still quite young. You know, it's uh, we're so fortunate to have uh, these records of the masters. Um, still, more than a thousand years have passed since this uh, recording of this biographical material, and then there's the translation, probably some different multiple translations. Um, if he did experience great enlightenment, not just a little Kensho, but great enlightenment while still quite young, this would be uh, this would be unusual, but not unheard of. And wonderful for those who uh, can wrap their mind around uh, rebirth. Uh, it would seem such a person to come to this kind of awakening at a young age, we could be sure that he or she in the past life had done a lot of hard practice, lots of sashins, and lots of dana, that is a lot of serving others, giving. But back to uh, this little biographical material. He traveled uh, extensively 
and uh, studied with some really great masters, including uh, the famous Dongshan, Dongshan Liangjie, who uh, was one of the co-founders of what in Japanese is called the uh, Soto School. Um, some accounts describe him as a diligent student, I bet, and heir of the Guayang, Guayang Zen lineage. <coughs> One last thing uh, about his biography. <laughs> it says later, this is the last sentence in the biographical material, later he dwelled for more than 10 years in a large hollow tree at the site of an old temple behind Mount Dasui. And then we do have a, uh, a few relatively short uh, exchanges of him that point out his teaching. Guishan, uh, one of his um, one of his masters, <clears throat> Guishan asked asked Dasui, "You've been practicing here with me for some time. Why haven't you asked any questions?" Dasui said, "What would you have me ask?" Guishan said, "Why don't you ask what is Buddha?" Dasui abruptly covered Guishan's mouth with his hand. Guishan exclaimed, You've truly attained the marrow. It, I don't think it gives away too much to, to understand this as uh, Dasui, you know, he's covering Guishan's mouth as not wanting Guishan to betray the Dharma, not wanting him to um, contaminate the Dharma by words. Um, this is one side of things. As, as we know, these masters, they use lots of words and gave lots of talks. But the other side is nothing, no words can encompass this. The only, the only reason we use words is to point the student to find what is beyond words, hope, hoping <coughs> that uh, what we say, our own words and quoting other, other masters, that uh, these will inspire the student to see what is beyond both words and silence. You know this uh this the first part of this exchange where uh Guishan says, "You've been here with me for some time. Why haven't you asked any questions um, He's trying to get something going with with uh dasui uh, Guishan being a really great master, he probably like the other illustrious Chinese masters had hundreds and hundreds of monks at his temple, his monastery, (coughs) 
and uh, he may have uh, caught a glimpse here and there of Dasui. Maybe was impressed with something about the way Dasui carried himself. Maybe the way he worked. and uh, wanted to offer some teaching to him. I can sure relate to this. Um, so often people uh, will ask me uh, about what, what they should do in Doksan, or what, 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 what is Doksan for? And without getting into that whole topic, uh, I assure them that uh, you don't have to have anything to, in coming to Doksan. You don't have to have questions. You don't have to have problems. But show up sometimes. I want to. I want to have some exchange with you, or see what we might cook up together. Even if you have nothing. And very often. Students, especially very serious students, have nothing. They're just checking in. And that offers uh, the field of opportunity uh, to see what might come from this, what might emerge from teacher and student coming together. I think the, the very purest thing you can bring into Doksan with you is nothing. Nothing rehearsed, no expectations. When I went to my introductory workshop in 1970, my uh, sister Sonia, actually both her and my other sister Martha had been here, had been to Sashin, and they were just itching uh, to have me take some interest in Zen. And um, at the end of the workshop, uh, with the post-workshop music uh, happening, uh, Sonia wanted me to meet Roshi one-on-one. -on -one. I hadn't talked with him during the workshop. So she found an opportunity and brought me over and introduced me. and. Uh, Roshi Kaplow, um, with his eyes twinkling, he said, uh, do you have any questions? He just, just something to get something going. It's, uh, like I will, I will sometimes say in Doksan, uh, how's it going? Uh, and then sometimes people are just, just falter. What, what do you mean? How's it going? It doesn't matter. And if you want just, Breathe the koan you're working on. It's just, I'm just opening the door. And that's what he was doing those uh, 50 years ago. When he said, do you have any questions? And at this point, I knew that this is what I'd be doing the rest of my life. I, 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 it completely upended me in the best way. And... I said, honestly, no, I don't have any questions. This is it for me. 
I probably just meekly said, no. In the next exchange here, <coughs> it reads, Zen Master Dasui entered the hall and addressed the monks, saying, Self-nature is originally pure and replete with virtue, but due to purity and pollution, there is differentiation. Thus, the enlightenment of the saints, ugh, saints, get rid of that word. Let's make it sages. Thus, the enlightenment of the sages has been realized entirely through purity, while the delusions of common people are engendered by pollution and are always pulling them down into the cycle of birth and death. <coughs> Let's just uh, look at a couple points there. That, that first statement, self-nature is originally pure and replete with virtue. So this is, these are words that was attributed to the Buddha, who said, uh, mind is originally luminous, but because of adventitious defilements, we fail to perceive this. Something like that. Self-nature is, is pure and luminous, but because of adventitious defilements, adventitious, I had to look up about six times over the years, adventitious means uh, things acquired, things we've picked up over the course of our life. So it's not really part of our original luminous nature. Wrong ideas, prejudices, biases, conditioning. Because of our conditioning, uh, we fail to perceive this. And he starts, Dasui starts the same way. Self-nature is originally pure and replete with virtue. But due to purity and pollution, there is differentiation. What <clears throat> The way I would take that is due to our discriminating purity and pollution, our, our, our constructing these dualistic notions, uh, we, we, we lose sight of our uh, inherent perfection and that of all beings. Oh, I, I didn't finish it. So one more sentence. He says, but the essence of purity and pollution is undifferentiated. Thus, the Mahaprajnaparamita Sutra says, not two, thus no separation. So speaking of words and how they get, this, get us into trouble, uh, as soon as we... we differentiate purity and pollution, we're bringing forth <clears throat> a dichotomy. These are concepts, concepts that have words assigned to them. They can be useful, they have some usefulness in distinguishing uh, things, but uh, they 
they create a lot of problems too if we're, if we're attached to the words, if we're attached to these dichotomies. We can use them freely if we see that these two are merely relative and both at source are emptiness. To quote a line from Affirming Faith in Mind. Here's a, here's a very short one that I don't understand. A monk asked Dasui, what is the sign of a great man? Dasui said, he doesn't have a placard on his stomach. <laughs> well, you know, I suppose uh, Dasui is saying, don't get caught in signs, labels. Uh, a great woman or man uh, cannot be bound by ideas, labels, concepts. Roshi Kapil used to quote Harada Roshi, his teacher Harada Roshi, as saying that the, the enlightened person uh, is, there's nothing really you can say about her or him um, because it would still limit the person. You know, so for example, um, to say this uh, enlightened woman is kind or compassionate or rough or anything, as soon as we say it, we, we put, we put a, a border around the person. We limit, we limit that person. <coughs> Next one, Dasui asked a monk, where are you going? That's another way to try to get something going with a, with a, with a teacher. The monk said, I'm going to live alone on West Mountain. Dasui asked, if I call out to the top of East Mountain for you, will you come or not? The monk said, of course not. Dasui said, you haven't attained living alone yet. There's that, uh, that very potent word alone. All one. As long as you see East Mountain, West Mountain as fundamentally separate, you're not living all one yet. Now, some people might say, well, come on, you just, it was just an ordinary question. Uh, and he's just being, he's being honest. Why would you fault him for being honest? He's just saying, no, I'm not, I'm, if you call in the other direction, you know, a hundred miles away, of course I'm not going to. Well, but that's beside the point. 
this is not just common sense. Uh, these aren't common sense uh, dialogues. They're uh, ways of sporting with this, these two worlds of differentiation and non-differentiation. And Dasui here is saying, eh, you're, uh, you're still stuck in differentiation. Next one, a monk asked, when the great matter of life and death arrives, then what? Dasui said, if there's tea, drink tea. If there's food, eat food. Very good answer. The monk said, who receives this support? Dasui said, just pick up your bowl. Uh, the tea and the food, meaning the support, the kind of support that monks would get in their monastery. And the monk asks, who receives it? It's probably no beginner, this monk. And Dasui comes back with just act, just pick up your food and eat it, enjoy it. Remember, this, the great matter of life and death is, is widely understood as just the moment of your, when you're on your deathbed and you're about to uh, die. Uh, but again and again, we have to remember that birth and death is something that is continuous. It's happening all the time. It's happening now. We've all, we've all died and been reborn since reciting the Hakuin chant this morning since the Tesho began. If there's tea, drink tea. If there's food, eat food. Why do you create these notions of birth and death, life and death? Here's the next one. Next to Dasui's hut, there was a tortoise, a, a turtle. A monk asked, most beings grow bones inside their skin. Why does this being grow skin inside its bones? Dasui took off his grass sandal and put it on the tortoise's back. The monk didn't know what to say. A monk asked, what is the essential dharma of all the Buddhas? Dasui held up his whisk and said, do you understand? The monk said, no. Dasui said, a whisk. <clears throat> Dasui held up his staff and said, where did it arise from? that is, the staff, but not just the staff. Someone said, from causation. Dasui said, how wretched, 
how bitter. Just offering this classroom answer. He didn't want a classroom answer. Where did it arise from? This. And then just the uh, finale here with uh, Dasui when he was near death. He said, at a large, when a large number of people were assembled to hear Dasui, he contorted his mouth into a pained position and said, Is there anyone here who can cure my mouth? The monks competed with one another to offer medicine, and when lay people heard about this matter, many of them also sent potions. But Dasui refused them all. Seven days later, he slapped himself and caused his mouth to assume a normal appearance. Dasui then said, These two lips have been drumming against each other all this time. Up until now, no one has cured them. He then sat upright, sat in an upright position and passed away. It sounds like he may have had a, a stroke or Bell's palsy. <coughs> but the uh, slapping himself and having his mouth come back to normal position is interesting to say the least. But I suspect that those final words, he's not to be taken literally. These lips have been drumming against each other all this time. Up until now, no one has cured them. All right. Uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but <coughs> so let's dive into this koan. A monk asked da Dasui when the conflagration at the end of the Kalpa sweeps through and the great cosmos is destroyed. This is part of uh, Buddhist cosmology, a traditional Buddhist cosmology that everything will will um, eventually devolve into into a, a great conflagration, a great fire. Um, I, when I heard this, I always picture a mushroom cloud. Uh, at least I I did back in the. Uh, 1970s or 80s, when the Cold War was still going on, doesn't matter uh, what we how we picture the, the conflagration at the end of the Kalpa. Kalpa is just a just an indescribably immense period of time, according to <coughs> according to Buddhist cosmology. Uh, there are, f there are four great epochs of time, uh, 500 years each, and at the end of the fourth 500-year period, there's a this great world-destroying uh, event, and, uh, well, I'll just stop there, because <laughs> that's where the koans 
stops. Um, so when this conflagration happens, the monk says, I wonder, is this one destroyed or not? Now, a key, a key part of getting a hold of this koan is to be able to peer into the mind, the heart of the monk and discern what's behind the words, behind the question he's asking. Is it just a, a challenge to Dasui and his understanding? It could be. At this point, maybe. Or something more gripping personally to this monk. What does he mean? I wonder, is this one destroyed or not? I don't think he's talking about just the guy who's standing before Dasui. If not, then this is a big, broad question. Is this, this destroyed or not? And Dasui, it will be destroyed. Uh, really? And so when the monk repeats his question, will it be gone with everything else? Do you see what's going on with this monk? He doesn't want to accept that answer. He, he might have had the understanding or the misunderstanding that there is this world of phenomena, the world of matter, the world of worlds, planets, solar systems, star clusters. There's that, all that, that material world. And then there is this one that is beyond all that. Again, the uh, dichotomy, the split, mind and matter. Even if, if uh, we spell mind with a capital M, still there is this idea that that uh, the two can be separated. This this monk may have been struggling with this question. This was still eleven or eleven hundred years before the Cold War, but uh, you know before mushroom clouds. But still, as a as a Buddhist monk, he may have really. Accepted this this 
cosmology of the world coming to a spectacular uh, coming to an end with this world fire universal universe fire and may have been clinging clinging to the hope that well at least if the whole universe is annihilated at least this one this essential nature of ours survives. And then to hear Daisui say, Daisui say, it will be destroyed. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Hold on, pump the brakes. Did I hear that right? It will be destroyed? Don't take that away from me. So he repeats. You can almost see the anguish with which he asks the question again. Will it be gone with everything else? What? Dasui. It will be gone with everything else. Now that's the the end of the case in the Blue Cliff Record, but in the book we're reading from, Zen's Chinese Heritage, it continues, the dialogue continues. After Dasui says it'll be gone with everything else, it says, the monk refused to accept this answer. He later went to Daozi Datong and relayed to him his conversation with Dasui. Tozi, he's another master, of course. Tozui lit incense and bowed to the Buddha, saying, The ancient Buddha of West River has appeared. In other words, offering tribute to Dasui and his response to the monk. Then, then this other master said to the monk, You should go back there quickly and atone for your mistake. It is for not accepting that answer. The monk went back to see Dasui, but Dasui had already died. The monk then went back to see Tozi, but Tozi had also passed away. It's pretty poignant ending to this story behind this koan. And it's uh, especially uh, interesting in, in that the koan deals with endings. What, uh, what makes this koan especially interesting is how it contrasts with a verse in the Mumonkan. This is uh, from number 23. Um, where Mumon says, when the universe is annihilated, it remains indestructible. Completely contradictory responses or statements. 
When the universe is annihilated, it remains indestructible. And here, Dasui, it'll be gone with everything else. Well, which is it? Don't get snared by that. Don't get snared by contradictions, paradox. The greatest truths can only be understood in words through paradox. I think there are millions, tens of millions of people today who feel like we are moving into a conflagration. Three major global disruptions all layered on top of one another. The pandemic, a global pandemic, the social, political despair of widespread unemployment, poverty, and then as a third now, this great disruption of civil and it's a matter of, of police brutality, Black Lives Matter, which has just swept like a great fire through this country, and not only this country, through other countries. This is amazing what we're seeing. Amazing. Any one of these three things would be like an earthquake. This is a an earthquake compounded The world is on fire. What do we do? Where can we find refuge in this massive global disruption? Oh, and then, not to mention climate change. That's four. That's a royal flush. Where do we find refuge? And that brings me to a great old Buddhist text called the Dhammapada. It's not a it's not a Zen text, particularly. It's a Buddhism in the broader sense. <coughs> it's um, um. It's a. It's not of the Zen style. It's um. It's didactic. It's uh, a little bit like moralizing. Do this. Don't do that. Um. Roshi Kaplow, I remember, didn't have much use for it because of that. Uh, I I always got, I found inspiration in it. I know that others, some of my students find inspiration. Well, here's, 
Here's one passage from the Dhammapada. They go to many a refuge, to mountains, forests, parks, trees, and shrines, people threatened with danger. That's not the secure refuge. That's not the highest refuge. That's not the refuge having gone to which you gain release from all suffering and stress. But when, having gone for refuge to the Buddha, to the Dharma, to the Sangha, you see with right discernment the Four Noble Truths, suffering, the cause of suffering, the transcending of suffering, and the Noble Eightfold Path, the way to the stilling of suffering. That's the secure refuge. That's the highest refuge. That is the refuge, having gone to which you gain release from all suffering and stress. I just had a runner from from the uh, Zendo here at Arnold Park say that I've been cutting in and out, which means that some of you, or maybe all of you, aren't even hearing this. Uh, so I think it would make sense then for me to end this and uh, and just recite the four vows, even though uh, no one may hear it. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain. All beings without number, I vow to liberate. Endless blind passions, I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure, I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha, I vow to attain.